further this passage together. Lord God, uh, thank you for this passage of scripture which is uh, preserved for our blessing. Please do uh, bless us through it this morning. May your spirit help us to understand it and also to be encouraged to live a life uh, wholly dedicated to you, especially in regards to our attitude towards the state. Amen. On the 9th of April, uh, 1940, without warning and without provocation, Germany invaded Norway. The Germans expected that the Norwegians would, uh, as a country full of uh, pure Aryans, uh, fully participate in their attempts to glorify the master race and purge the undesirables from humanity, such as Jews, uh, gypsies, gypsies and Slavs. However, the Norwegians would have nothing to do with this. Uh, so they resisted in every peaceful way they could. Uh, the church clergy and school teachers resisted the Nazi efforts to control the teaching of the church and the schools. And consequently, many of them were sent to concentration camps. Uh, the Germans imposed their own curriculum on the schools. Uh, to this day, in, in Oslo, there is a museum dedicated to the resistance movement in World War II. And the museum contains a book uh, used by the Nazis in the schools. It was produced in 1941, and it's written in Norwegian. Uh, the book opens with the following introduction, and I quote in full. What are those called in Romans 13, verse 1, who God has set over us? Have you considered that your parents, your school teachers, your principal, policemen, police chiefs, judges, the priest, the bishop, the country commission, the state government are the authorities who are installed by God and that you owe them obedience? It continues. Overall, we owe the Führer and the government obedience. If you set yourself up against the authorities and against the state, you are standing against God's structure and are subject to punishment. Well, there you go. Let's talk about the devil quoting scripture. Uh, Romans 13 verses 1 to 7 is a key biblical text on Christians' attitude and response to the state. Uh, as a citizen... What should be a Christian's attitude to the state? Uh, should we give it our unwavering allegiance? Were the Norwegian clergy in breach of Romans 13 when they resisted their Nazi overlords? Well, let's look at this passage more closely together and try and get a good grasp of what it's saying to us today. So we're seeing that um, this is a third area Paul is now exploring about what a gospel shaped life will look like and in to give you the, the main overall point uh, a gospel shaped life in Romans 1 13 1 to 7 will be to submit and to respect governing authorities look at Romans 13 verse 1 everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities uh, why should Christians do so because civil government is something that God has established. It is God's idea. Verse 1 continues. For there is no authority 
accept that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Authority structures, they're part of God's good design and intention for human society. Uh, that is why we should submit to them. To rebel against them is to rebel against God. Uh, God-ordained authority structures are all around us uh, in everyday life. In Romans 13, uh, they're in the form of civil authorities. However, uh, they are not limited to this. Uh, the family is another authority structure instituted by God. Uh, for a child, as we saw in the kids' talk, to rebel against a parent is ultimately to rebel against God. Uh, marriage is another. The husband is head of the wife. He is called to exercise his authority in love, and she is called to submit to him. Uh, church is yet another authority structure established by God. Are we in trouble? Have you not heard a word I've said? Do I need to start, start again? You're looking rather worried. Oh, okay. Church is yet another. Uh, it's an authority structure established by God. Uh, church leaders are talked about as being under shepherds, commissioned by the good shepherd. And their job, of course, under God, is to take care of his church. So, you see, uh, whether you are a dependent child a wife or a church member or a society citizen, uh, the implication is the same. To submit and to respect those whom God has placed in authority over you. So, returning to Romans 13, uh, two specific reasons are given for the Christian to submit to governing authorities. Firstly, punishment, and secondly, conscience. So, firstly, punishment. Uh, to submit to governing authorities, it's the wise thing to do. Uh, to rebel against governing authority may lead to punishment. Verse 2 continues. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This is those who rebel. Uh, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. Governing authorities maintain order in society. They hold people accountable to live in a way which makes it possible to live together. Normally, the law-abiding citizen has nothing to fear. However, the lawbreaker has everything to fear from the magistrate. Verse 4 continues. But if you do wrong, uh, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Uh, when it talks about the sword here, uh, it's clearly the power to punish, to punish those who do wrong uh, with civil sanctions, whether they be fines, whether they be imprisonment, or even death. 
And the terms used to describe the magistrate are interesting, aren't they? They're very noteworthy. He is God's servant. Uh, he is the agent of wrath. In other words, one of the ways that God administers his wrath on evil is through the magistrate. Uh, the magistrate, you could say, is the arm of the Lord. Uh, this answers a question left hanging in the air back in chapter 12. Uh, as private individuals, we are not to take the law into our own hands. Remember back in chapter 12, verse 19, it says this. Uh, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So Christians are not to take revenge, but to trust God to avenge. But how? How will God ensure that justice is done? Well, it may be in the future, at the final judgment, but it may also be in the present through the law courts. So, a Christian, uh, we're seeing also, must love their enemy. A Christian must love their enemy. But that doesn't bar them from taking legal action against their enemy where the law has been broken. Uh, to love somebody, what does it mean? Uh, it is to seek their highest good. Uh, to not confront evil in a person may actually be a failure to love them. Uh, Zavi of late in our home has um, cottoned on, as five-year-olds do, that he's reached on sort of an aha moment in life because he's realized now that if he hasn't got something and he sees somebody else as having it, the answer is to go and take it. And then, of course, it becomes his and problem solved. And we've been trying to explain to him, Zavi, that's not actually the way to go about things. It's called stealing. But to his small mind, it's a bit of a, you know, a strange concept. Would it be loving of us as parents just to brush it under the carpet? Oh, I'm sure he'll work it out in due course. Of course not. When we see something in somebody we love, which is in some way corrupting them, when we see evil, uh, it is the loving thing to do to confront it. True love may well be tough love. Uh, true love may call us to confront somebody about their evil behavior. And true love may be allowing that person to suffer the consequences of their actions, whether they be legal consequences or otherwise. So we don't bear the sword, we don't take revenge, uh, the magistrate does on God's behalf. And this is part of God's good plan. Imagine how chaotic it would be if every citizen bore the sword. Uh, anyone who has lived in a part of the world where law and order has been replaced by anarchy and mob rule will testify to how difficult everyday life becomes. It's stressful and it's dangerous. And of course, we see it in our day in places like Syria, in Libya, uh, and in many countries in Africa. You see, the magistrate is one of the means by which God maintains order and punishes evil in a society. Uh, civil government is good. It is a blessing from God. It is a means of what's called his common grace. Through civil government, God restrains evil. 
he counters the effects of the fall. You see, God does not abandon humanity to stew in its own rebellious juice. Rather, he establishes authority structures which restrain evil and promote the good. So that's the first reason uh, we should obey civil authorities' punishment. The second reason uh, is given is conscience. It's not only because of punishment where submission is the wise thing to do, but also because of conscience where submission is the right thing to do. Look at verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Think about it. Uh, If we only obey when there is fear of punishment, where there is little or no prospect of punishment, we are likely to disobey. I'm sure you've had this experience. You're driving along and then you see on the road those road markings and you realize you just passed that uh, sign uh, a kilometer back which says speed camera ahead. And what do you immediately do? Usually you slam your foot on the brake uh, just in case and make sure that you are abiding by the law of the road. Uh, But what happens once you're out of range of the camera? And one's attention starts to waver and the speed often starts to creep up again. Uh, Often it is only the the possible impending sanction of punishment uh, that gets us to obey the law. But God says, don't just obey the law because of possible punishment, but obey it also because of conscience. In other words, to submit to the law is to submit to God. To have reverence for the law is to have reverence for God. Often I find, especially if I'm rushing somewhere and I'm late, uh, and I'm tempted to, dare I say it and admit it to you, uh, break the speed limit, that then I find that voice within me saying, to do that is actually to disrespect God. And that is an additional means by which I actually then take my foot off the pedal and come back under the speed limit. So, uh, conscience, uh, it's that powerful voice which goes with us wherever we go, uh, even when there isn't any prospect of immediate punishment. Uh, And that, in a sense, is a real asset for the Christian, knowing that God sees everything we do, and that when we obey the law out of reverence for him, we're delighting him. Uh, Two implications flow out of this, which I'd like to tease out. On the one hand, uh, this will mean that we obey the state even when there are no civil consequences, but on the other hand, it also means that we will not submit to the state where it violates our conscience, even if there are civil consequences. On the 18th of April, uh, 1521, Martin Luther, the theologian and reformer, appeared before the Assembly of Worms in Germany, uh, convened by Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, Luther's biblically grounded teachings were challenging many of the doctrines of the Roman Church. And he was asked in that assembly if he would recant his teaching. And his famous reply was as follows, and I quote, Unless I can be instructed and convinced with evidence from the Holy Scriptures or with open, clear, and distinct grounds of reasoning, then I cannot and I will not recant because it is neither safe nor wise to act against 
conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Amen. You see, Luther's conscience would not in this instance allow him to submit to the state, even if he were to suffer the loss of his life. Uh, The state, and ironically in this case the church, required what was clearly in conflict with what God had commanded in the Holy Scriptures. So continuing in Romans 13, uh, next we see in Romans 6, uh, Paul brings onto the agenda a nitty-gritty practical example of what submission to governing authorities practically looks like. And it's a topic close to every adult's heart. Taxes. Uh, Verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Uh, Interesting bit of uh, historical background. Uh, It's possible that at the time of writing this letter, uh, when Paul wrote it, uh, there was mounting resistance to paying taxes in Roman society. Uh, This was due to an increasingly rapacious Roman government. Uh, The Roman historian uh, Tacitus refers to a tax revolt against indirect and direct taxes in AD 58. Uh, Sorry, just against indirect taxes. And if so, then Paul would be counseling the Roman Christians to demonstrate their loyalty to the Roman government by paying the both direct but also indirect taxes. Uh, Now, I don't think I'm going to be going out onto a limb to say that there are not many people who enjoy paying taxes. Uh, There is this internal resistance to those we perceive as wanting to take our hard-earned cash. Uh, One cynic proposed the following tongue-in-cheek motto for the ATO, and I quote, we have what it takes to take what you have. Maybe we can propose that to the ATO. It is easy to slip into a negative mindset about taxes. Uh, It's true to say uh, that in some instances, tax revenue can be misused. However, generally, taxes serve a positive purpose. They pay the salaries of those who serve society full-time as public servants, and they fund the services that government provide. And they also enable government to help those in need, as David prayed in the prayer, uh, the $12,000 to farmers in drought. So this means that the Christian should accept his or her tax liability with good grace. Christians should pay their dues in full, uh, both national and local, uh, direct and indirect. So you see, it calls us to be honest on our tax return, out of reverence for God, particularly. Uh, Tax avoidance, where we structure our tax affairs wisely, is fine, But tax evasion is not. It's interesting when I was in Indonesia, um, seeing some of the dilemmas which Christians in that society are faced with in their everyday life, 
Uh, as you'll know, uh, Indonesian government is not renowned for uh, its incorruptibility. Uh, generally, there's a lot of graft that happens, a lot of corruption. Uh, and such is the case in the tax system. Uh, the Indonesian Christian is faced with a real dilemma when it comes to paying taxes because there aren't clear set rules as to what tax is due. It becomes a bit of a negotiation uh, with the tax authorities. Uh, my heart goes out to Indonesian Christians. Uh, it is very difficult in their society uh, to respect their authorities and to work out what it means to submit to them. Living here in Australia and having seen that, I appreciate all the more the fact that our society and that our government is by and large uh, not corrupt. Uh, there are clear rooms that rules, there's transparency, and we can therefore operate within them. And that is a real blessing and not something to take for granted. So, uh, Christians should submit to uh, the authorities, to civil authorities, uh, and we should do that with a good attitude. Uh, we should show respect, we should show honor and courtesy. One other implication uh, flows out of this. It's not particularly in our passage today, uh, but uh, in 1 Timothy 2, we see that also, therefore, we should pray for those in authority. I look at 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peacefully, peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and honesty. So we should pray for those in authority over us. Now then, uh, there is a natural and a reasonable question that lurks at the back of our minds as we read Romans 13. And I suspect it was back at the back of yours. This is all well and good when the government is fair and just. But what about when government is corrupt and evil? Where governments persecute Christians, surely it can't be said, as in verse 3, that rulers hold no terror for those who do right. Uh, we've seen that civil government is God's idea for ordering and running society. But that does not mean that evil, corrupt rulers are personally appointed by God. Uh, nor does it mean that God is responsible for or even condones the actions of the Herods or the Neros, the Stalins or the Saddams. The point is that, generally speaking, civic government is a divine institution with divine authority. Uh, it's not merely a human construct that the Christian can dismiss and disregard as part of a fallen world. However, there will be limits to the submission a Christian can give to the government. And there are two hints of these limits here in Romans 13, that are given explicit and fuller expression elsewhere in Scripture. The first came in verse 7. Give to everyone what you owe him. Uh, do these words sound familiar? Uh, where else have we heard similar words in the gospel accounts? Uh, surely, uh, this is a clear echo of Jesus' famous teaching um, in Matthew 22, verse 21. He says this. 
Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Uh, Jesus was saying that the civil magistrate has a limited sphere of authority. Uh, There was a common misconception in Jesus' time that the king, or in this case uh, the emperor, was a deity. And Jesus is challenging this in an ingenious way. Uh, Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Yes. Should you worship Caesar? No. There are limits to the submission a Christian should give to the state. Uh, The second hint of a limited submission comes in verses 3 and 4. Here it is again. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. For he is God's servant to do you good. If the civil authority is God's servant, it clearly implies a responsibility to operate under God's moral order. If rulers are to support the doing of right, it implies they must not require the doing of wrong. In other words, if they either command what God forbids or forbid what God commands, they've overstepped the boundaries of their God-given authority. In Acts 5, verse 29, Peter makes this uh, principle clear. Uh, When he is told by the Jewish authorities to stop preaching about Christ and his resurrection, he has this to say. Acts 5, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. Uh, Going right back to the book of Exodus. When the Pharaoh orders the Hebrew midwives to throw all the newborn Hebrew male babies into the Nile, what do they do? It says they disobeyed out of reverence for God. The Norwegian clergy and school teachers were exercising a justified civil disobedience, as were those who hid Jews in defiance of the Nazi government during World War II. On the screen is a picture of a Dutch Christian uh, referred to and goes by the name and the title of Brother Andrew uh, in his famous VW Beetle. Uh, in the 1950s and 60s, he personally smuggled in his car and later in trucks many thousands of Bibles into communist bloc countries. Uh, the Bible was a banned book in these countries and yet Brother Andrew knew that it was more important to obey God than men. Uh, His amazing story uh, is told in his highly acclaimed book, and there's a picture of it on the screen, uh, God's Smuggler. Uh, It sold over 10 million copies, and it's a brave story of Christian civil disobedience out of reverence for God and his church. So, the Bible gives a clear basis for civil disobedience That is where the state commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands. So, in conclusion, in view of God's mercy, uh, we should submit to governing authorities out of reverence for God, but never at the expense of our obedience to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, the passage today... Uh, is a passage which is so germane to our everyday life. Uh, We live as citizens in a society. We live under authority. 
both civil authorities, but also in other authority structures, whether it be the family, the marriage, uh, or the church. Please, we pray, help us to live within uh, those authority structures established by yourself for our blessing and for our good, uh, and help us to live in a way which is honoring to you, out of reverence to you, we pray. Amen.